Welcome to Southern Sisters Radio on Faith Talk Atlanta, the show for Southern women and the men who adore them. Join us as we celebrate life from a Southern point of view. Here's your host, author, founder of Southern Sisters Home and true Southern sister, Jenny McCormick Earhart. And hello, everyone. Welcome to the Southern Sisters Radio Show, the program for Southern women and the men who adore them. Us. Me. I like being adored, Joey. As it should be. (laughs) I'm glad I'm in the studio with you today. You're a little bit of a food aficionado, kind of like I am. Um, Yeah, I love food. Yeah, what you like to eat. Mm -hmm. You don't cook all that much, though, do you? Just peanut butter and jellies. You can grill. I I think we talked about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you and every other guy can grill. uh, (laughs) No, actually, I've been getting kind of excited this week. You know, it's it's this time of year where it's technically, right, according to the calendar, folks, it's still, still summertime. We're in the South, so of course that means it's still hot. It's in the 90s, but I'm starting to sort of, you know, fantasize, kind of dreaming about cooler temperatures, mm. you know, my, my boots, my, my autumn and winter boots that are in the closet. Now this is a girl thing. So don't, you know, you can roll your eyes if you want to, but they're kind of calling to me. You know, I was telling a girlfriend the other day, they were calling to me like, you know, like the sirens and the odyssey, Jenny. you know, called to Odysseus. Jenny. Yeah. Wait. Come wear me. My chocolate brown <laughs> knee high suede boots, my wedge boots. I can't wait to put those on. And that is a cla- that's that's just a a, a woman thing I mm. think you know we start thinking about our fall fashion I'm thinking more about food though than I am about fall fashion I'm thinking about what's coming into season uh, what's going out of season and you know here in the South folks a, a really good way and a good rule of thumb to know what's in season during which uh, time of the year is is kind of just keep an eye on on the prices I mean a telltale sign is that the prices start to drop. You, you pretty much have a good indication that, that that item is coming into season. Right. Right. So if you try to buy, you know, if you're trying to buy uh, a summer fruit in the middle of winter, you're probably importing it. You are importing it from someplace else. It's coming out. Prices are going to be high. So I love it. Like right about this time of year, you can get like, you know, the mangoes are like, you know, 80 cents a piece. Whereas if you try to buy one in the middle of winter, they're about $3 a piece. Right. You see what I'm right, saying? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so I kind of let the let the uh, the farmer's market be my guide and the prices in the grocery store be my guide. But one thing I do start getting excited about this time of year is thinking about what dishes I'm going to be making. Uh, it's a we- I'm just weird, I guess. No, you're eccentric. And I, and I think yeah. you have passion and that's needed in society. Food passion. Yeah. I have a passion for eating. That's, mm-hmm. that's basically what it is. But yeah, let's kind of talk a little bit about our favorite autumn vegetables, things that are coming into season, things that we can start incorporating into our diets. Now, many of these items on the list, you can technically buy them all year long in this day and age, right? I mean, you can pretty much get anything you want any time of the year if you're willing to pay for it. Right. Doesn't mean it's local doesn't mean it's reasonably priced and doesn't mean it's at all necessarily in season in your part of the country. Yeah. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But these are the ones that are coming in now. And uh, and I'm getting super excited about about delving into some of these. Now, how about let's start number one classic fall vegetable, and it's a little bit of a misnomer, is the pumpkin, okay? Now, believe it or not, folks, the pumpkin is not actually a vegetable. So I don't know, it really technically shouldn't be on my list, but we treat it like a vegetable, kind of like we treat tomatoes like they're a vegetable, even though they're technically not. Uh, Believe it or not, the pumpkin is part of the berry family. Hmm. It's like a very big, you know, gigantic orange hard berry yeah for all intents and purposes but but i love pumpkins and there's so many different things we think about pumpkin pies we think about pumpkin bread right um i've got a fabulous recipe in my second cookbook for roasted pumpkin soup that is amazing it's creamy and savory and and fabulous i need to put that up on the website 
In fact, I will, indeed. That will be up on the website before the end of the day. Yeah, what is your website again? My website is southernsistershome.com. You can click on the blog. That's where we put all of the recipes. And folks, everything we'll be talking about today on today's show will be on the blog, and we've got a whole lot going on. It's a lot of food this week. We're not talking about Southern etiquette. We're not talking about Southern fashion. We're talking about Southern food. So the pumpkin, you can roast it, right? You can. One of the best ways to cut a pumpkin, if you're going to eat it first, because they're so hard, you're going to need a heck of a big, you know, chef's knife to hack it, hack into one yeah. of those things. Really a good idea to maybe maybe cook it for a little bit first. Pop it in the oven at about 350, roast it for maybe about 30 minutes, just enough to soften it up. It's going to make it so much easier for you to slice into it. Now, you can do all sorts of things with pumpkin, and I'm not a, a pumpkin snob per se. I, I love canned pumpkin even. Um, the nutrients are the same. It's good flavor. Um, you can get canned pumpkin year round, but why not get it fresh? You know, you're going to see piles of these things at the local vegetable stands coming up in the next couple of weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can you can roast that pumpkin, scoop it out, and make your own pumpkin puree, which you can then use in your pies and your um, and in your pumpkin breads and things like that. So roasted pumpkin, guys, put a little cinnamon on it to die for. How about, I know this doesn't sound very exciting, but how about cabbage? Let's do it. I know. Okay. Now, we touched on, folks, you may recall, I talked a little bit last week about some of the fun things I've been whipping up in my kitchen for my husband and I now that we are uh, trying to be good uh, eaters and eat more healthy whole food and less processed food. So we talked about the cabbage, but let me tell you, it is coming into season now. Um, One of my favorite ways, and I mentioned this last week, was chopping it up. And then tossing it and braising it in a pan with a little bit of, um, I, I roasted some, uh, or I sauteed some pancetta last week and, did, and put the cabbage in there and it softened up a little good salt and pepper. Um, it was it was out of this world. I also love to shred it up and throw it into salads. You know, mm. basically anywhere lettuce can go, cabbage can go also. And the beautiful red cabbage, you know, the purple shade, so pretty. You can kind of mix those colors together. So I have a wonderful um, apple cabbage salad with an apple cider vinaigrette that I make. Wow. That's good. That will be on the website too, folks. So don't miss that one. So cabbage number two, fall vegetable that you should definitely consider, uh, uh, you know, incorporating into your diet this fall. Now, carrots. We think of carrots as being year-round, and they are. But let me tell you, this time of the year, um, they're going to be more uh, seasonal. They're going to be local, right? If you go into your farmer's markets, you're going to see your local farmers these days harvesting those carrots. Um, I picked up some last week that were gorgeous. They were um, like multicolored carrots. It was, I got some assorted carrots. We had orange. We had purple. We had sort of this beautiful golden yellowy color and even a whitish, kind of a light creamy ivory color. It was gorgeous. And you can treat them all the same. Now, with, with carrots, they're thick, they're tough, they're hard. Um, I say roast the heck out of these babies. <laughs> Soften them up. Soften them up a little bit. Toss them in, uh, in in a little olive oil. Spread them out in a baking sheet, about 425. Give them a good roast for maybe 20, 25 minutes. And quite frankly... While we're on the subject of roasting, just about all your fall vegetables can be roasted. Pretty much everything we're going to mention here today, roasting is my new favorite way. I, I think when you roast a vegetable, I mean, I mean, Lord help us the way we used to boil the the, the bejeebies out of our vegetables. Hmm. I don't know how, I don't know if your mother cooked that way, and and you know, I, I I shouldn't talk bad about the way my mother cooked, but she boiled a lot of vegetables. You know, they were mushy. Kind of washed out, not very colorful. But these days, guys, just about anything that you want to toss with olive oil and throw on a baking sheet can be roasted with a pretty good result. The only thing you want to keep in mind is if you're roasting a bunch of vegetables together, some of them are going to roast quicker than others. So your more delicate vegetables, right, like maybe your um, the asparagus or the cabbage, that's not going to take as long as, say, sweet potatoes or pumpkin, something right. that's dense and thick. You got that. 
So uh, what do you think about Brussels sprouts, Joey? I love Brussels sprouts as long as you have like a little bit of butter, maybe some salt and pepper, some mm. some lemon pepper seasoning, something like that, that to spruce it up. How about a little bacon? Oh, well, bacon is Holy just amazing. Moly. Sure. Everything's yeah. better with bacon. Let me tell you something. Brussels sprouts have kind of been the uh, the vegetable, uh, you know, the, the end. Let's just say uh, it's like the popular girl. Right, mm-hmm. the popular girl on the hall. She's uh, Brussels sprouts have definitely had a resurgence in the past few years. Most um, really good restaurants, your four star restaurants, are going to have some sort of roasted Brussels sprout recipe, mm-hmm. you know, on the menu. These are easy to do at home. Um, I love them. I typically cut them in half because they're so you know they're so big. And depending on how tender or how tough they are, sometimes I'll blanch mine first. Now for folks. Blanching, that's just throwing it into a, a pot of boiling water with a little salt and just uh, you know, like parboiling it. In other words, cook it for maybe one to two minutes just to get that little bit of cook on it so it doesn't take as long when you roast it in the oven. Mm-hmm. I pull them out, dry them off, toss them in some olive oil, maybe some kosher salt and cracked black pepper, spread them out on my baking sheet and uh, roast them good. I'll even sometimes drizzle a little balsamic vinegar over them after they come out of the oven. Yeah. Hello. And you know what else I did with them last week? I'm What'd getting you do? I'm getting excited about the, the Brussels sprouts. I shaved them. I did. I shaved them. Now I don't mean like as in I shaved them with a razor. I mean I shaved them like with a little mandolin, right? So I took my whole Brussels sprouts and I just shaved them. So I ended up with these just shredded Brussels sprouts and I tossed them into a skillet with some uh, olive oil and salt and pepper and uh, and a little bit of onion and just let them cook down and I pan seared them. They they got a little crispy around the edges. They were fabulous. What else? Butternut squash. Okay, I, I can dig it. Okay, now butter. Do you, do you eat butternut squash? My wife makes a mean butternut squash. Does she really? Yeah, she really does. Your wife's she's, a good woman. She's from yeah. the south. Yeah, uh, she's a grit. Yep, she's a grit. Mm-hmm. Okay, butternut squash is fabulous. It's a little funny shaped, you know. It's but it's got that creamy, rich flavor on the inside. Um, they are absolutely wonderful. Once again, roasting them, or you know, you can steam them and scoop out the flesh on the inside, and even uh, you could actually puree this. It'd be amazing. You could do a pureed butter butternut squash soup with that be, be wonderful acorn squash the same thing i have memories of my mother taking those acorn squashes and and cutting them in half right kind of scooping out the seeds and then putting butter and cinnamon on the inside and then baking them in the oven so they were nice and soft that was sort of a classic you know autumn dish or a vegetable i should say that we had in my family when i was growing up mm. now potatoes potatoes are year-round we know that right I, you have you eaten your fair share of, of french fries joey i, I imagine oh yeah we all have. But potatoes, believe it or not, it is actually, um, they do particularly well in the fall here in the south. You're going to start seeing tons of them, baskets overflowing with them um, at the local farmer's market. It's just a great fall addition. I throw those little red new potatoes, those little baby Bella gold mm-hmm. potatoes. Throw good. those into your pot roast, chop mm-hmm. them up, put them in your stews. You know what I'm saying? Wasn't there some, some line from, remember my kids laughing about uh, taters? The line from, uh, from Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, remember taters? Taters? Are you not a Lord of the Rings fan? No, no. Now I remember. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's one of the well, hobbits. folks, no matter how you slice it, we've got a full list of fall vegetables on the website. Go and check it out. SouthernSistersHome.com. Click on the blog and you'll get it all there. We'll be right back. Everybody eats when they come to my And welcome back, everyone, to the Southern Sisters radio program. We're talking about something that's uh, near and dear to my heart today. Um, And if you don't know, and if you don't have it on your calendar already, um, I'm here to tell you this is a very important day. It ranks up there with Christmas, Easter, 
Fourth of July. You know what it is, Joey? No. Mm, National Hot Dog Day. Mm. Hello, right? Okay. Yeah. Now there are food snobs out there that would tell you that um, the the deer hot dog is not really worthy of a national day. But I beg to differ. I I, I like all sorts of food. I like highfalutin food, uh, and I've also been known to eat a taquito from uh, Quick Trip. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I really am an equal opportunity eater when it comes to food. And I will also say, however, that the National Hot Dog Day is uh, well-deserved. And it has a, a, a really a long and illustrious history in our country, the hot dog does. Really? Do you know, and, and where I actually got a lot of my information for this, this segment about hot dogs, do you know that there is a National Hot Dog and Sausage Council? No. Yes. I'd like membership on this council. Yeah, who comprises I, this panel? Really? Wouldn't you like to know? I would. Some guy named Oscar. There's this other guy named Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have no idea. But we're going to talk a little bit about what the National Hot Dog Council has to say about hot dogs in this country. Now, and this is straight from what they call their H-files. Get it? Hot dog? You're like, H-Files. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the origin of the word hot dog, it stirs as much debate as the existence of UFOs. Now, conflicting stories abound and everyone wants to claim ownership of the catchy moniker of America's favorite food. Side note, it is. I do think it's one of America's favorite foods. Sure. Right? I mean, if you go to a football, baseball game, you got to eat, right? Yeah. And if you're out, you know, pre-gaming, they're really easy to cook. Oh, really yeah, cheap too. absolutely. And, you know, I've been on this really healthy diet for about the past two months. I haven't mm. been eating a lot of processed food, but I broke it one time. I was at the Georgia UNC game uh, season opener last weekend, right, at yeah. the Georgia Dome. And, man, I ate a hot dog. It was, oh, oh, there's yeah. probably a lot of nervous eating at oh, that wow. game. Yeah, it was a great game. Yeah. No, I digress. That's another day for another <laughs> subject. Um, but anyway, so why are there so many stories about how the hot dog got its name and who invented the hot dog bun, for that matter? There might be a conspiracy involved. Now, this is coming from the the National Hot Dog Council. The truth is out there, and with the help of avid hot dog historians and linguists, the council set out to find the truth. Now, the infamous story about cartoonist Tad Dorgan of the New York Journal, there's a story for you. Now, he says when interviewed, uh, Bruce Craig, who's a Ph.D., a hot dog historian and a professor emeritus at Roosevelt University in Illinois, said, Forget about it. As the legend goes, Dorgan, right, the cartoonist, observed a street vendor named Harry Stevens selling this thing called a hot doshend sausage during a game at the New York Polo Grounds. And he was shouting, get your red hot doshend sausages. Now, Dorgan later illustrated this scene with a doshend dog nestled in a bun and underneath it, the caption said, get your hot dogs. No one has found a copy of this supposed cartoon um, and that's supposedly how some people say the hot dog got its name. Now, maybe the cartoon never existed, you know, or maybe it's buried somewhere in the National Archives. Whoa. We may never know. Right. But Craig also suggests the cartoon began as a joke between Dorgan and the vendor, who were both reportedly good friends. But they were no mind. You know, there was no actual mean. They didn't mean to reference the hot dogs. In fact, one report the council came across suggested the story may have come from Stephen's obituary in the New York Herald. But references to Dachshund sausages and ultimately hot dogs can indeed be traced to German immigrants in the 1800s. Now, German immigrants brought not only the sausages with them in the late 1800s, but also Dachshund dogs. Now, Craig says the name hot dog probably began as a joke. You know, and ever the butt of humor and rumor, the moniker that stuck was likely a joke regarding the provenance of this tasty sausage served on a bun and cut lengthwise. 
How about that? So anyway, but the truth is that Germans have been eating these little dog sausages with bread for ages and ages. So we may never exactly know where they came from, but we can say for sure that they have are here to stay. Right. And whatever German origin they may have had, it has been completely taken over by American patriotism. I just love the Don't passion you, you have about talking about hot dogs. I, I, it's so real. Kind of, I, It's talking about food. In yeah. general, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, listen, guys. the The National Hot Dog Council also has. I think this hat. This has to be a little tongue in cheek. Some recommendations on how to eat hot dogs. Okay. So, attention, America. You're probably eating hot dogs the wrong way, mm. which is pretty embarrassing, oh, considering yeah. how much you love them. Right. Now, the National Hot Dog Council, right, which is a part of the American Meat Institute. Did you even know there was that that even existed? No. No. It has an official etiquette guide for hot dog eating. All right. And so here you guys go. Take out your paper. Make some notes because this is important to know. The proper way to eat hot dogs according to the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council. Ready? Okay. Now it says, um, <laughs> let me get started here. How to plate them. Plate them. Okay. As if we were plating some, you know. Five-star restaurant food, right? Okay, so there's no need for fancy garnishes, right? Keep it simple, right? You want to keep with a, a stick with a laid-back theme, right? Okay, you want to use plain buns. Now, you can use those poppy seed or sesame seed buns if you want to, right? All right, now, dressing your hot dog is also a bigger deal than you might think. First of all, there's an order to follow. Wet condiments, mustard or chili, for example, go on first, followed by chunky ingredients. If you're putting onions or sauerkraut on your hot dog, this is the time to do it. After the mustard. Mm. Got it? Next comes cheese. And then any spices, if you choose to use them, such as pepper or celery salt, they come last. How about that? Now, the next point is very controversial. Okay, so (laughs) I may get some hate mail right of this one. Now, the National Hot Dog Council also has rules about ketchup. Okay. Now, this is much to the dismay of internet commenters. Okay. According to the council, any person over the age of 18 should not top their hot dog with ketchup, despite the <gasps> fact that over half of all Americans use the condiment. Blasphemy. How about that? Blasphemy, right, Jenny. Right. I know. It's terrible. But, but there are definitely hot dog snobs out there that say ketchup has no place on a hot dog. I think ketchup has no place on a steak, but a hot dog? I know. Right. Yeah, it's not I filet like mignon. I do yeah. too. I love ketchup. I do too. I put it on there. Okay, guys. Now remember, no knife and fork, says the uh, uh, National Hot Dog Institute when it comes to eating a hot dog. Don't dare be pulling out a knife and fork. I saw somebody doing this at the Georgia game. She mm. had a little plastic fork and a little plastic knife, and she was slicing her hot dog into pieces. So dainty. I wanted to reach over and smack her. You should have. <laughs> Just kidding. So anyway, no, folks, you eat a hot dog with your hands. That's the way it works, and so says the National Hot Dog Institute. Now, I've got a specially specially wonderful treat for you. I'm going to give you guys five great ideas for interesting and maybe slightly different hot dog topping ideas, okay? Yeah. Ready? Number one, don't laugh, but we're in the South, so I'm going to include this, a peach salsa dog. Okay. All right. Now, you have to just kind of expand your mind a little bit and consider this. I've actually had one. I thought it was delicious. You want to take two chopped peaches, one chopped jalapeno pepper, about a fourth of a cup of chopped cilantro leaves, and about a tablespoon of lemon juice, a little salt and pepper. Toss all that together in a bowl and just kind of spoon that over the top of your hot dog. That is a hot dog southern style. I like southern style. Southern style. How about a tiki dog? Hmm. 
Hmm. You say, what is a tiki dog? Hmm. A tiki dog is a bacon-wrapped hot dog, Mm. right? It's topped with grilled diced pineapple, red onion, and a drizzle of teriyaki sauce. It's like there's a party in my mouth and everybody's invited. Mm. Doesn't that sound great? Yes. Well, anything. You got me at, you know. Bacon. Wrapped in bacon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you had me at bacon wrapped. How about a Frito pie dog? All right. Oh my goodness. Doesn't Digging that just it. sound like fun? Yeah. So you top your hot dog in this case with chili, shredded cheese, crumbled Fritos, right? And some chopped green onions. Love Hello. it. Hello. Mm, my kids would love that. The kids would love that. How about the French onion dog? Mm. What do you think's on that? Um, I'm going to guess some like onion rings. Yeah, you know, well, if you say onions, you'd be guessing right. The French onion dog has a heavy layer of caramelized onions. Mm. Now, folks, we have instructions on our website about how to caramelize onions. There's nothing to it. It darkens them. They get nice and sweet. And oh, my goodness gracious. So a heavy layer of caramelized onions and a slice of Swiss cheese. Wow. Right? Yeah. Hello, French onion dog. Nacho dog. Nacho dog. Just like to say that. Refried beans on your hot dog. I figure if you can do chili, you can do refried beans, right? Yeah. Refried beans, shredded cheese, and chopped jalapenos. There's your, yeah, there's your nacho dog. Not what sure do that think? I want to sit next to that person. No, why after not? That. <laughs> why not? <laughs> For the inevitable uh, gas exchange there. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Spoken like a Southern man. A Southern woman <laughs> would never make that comment, Joey. <laughs> but you know one of my favorite ways to have a hot dog well, is how's that? Chicago style. Ooh, what Hello. does that mean? Hello. Well, came from Chicago. All right. So we will we Southerners down here will give a little gentle nod to our northern neighbors uh, and give them a lot of credit for uh, creating a great dog. It's got a lot of different things on it. Sliced tomato, a big dill pickle, right? Some pepperoncini. Okay, some celery salt. It's classically served on a poppy seed bun. Um, hello. Oh, a little sweet pickle relish. It's just, it's kind of like a party in your mouth. It's got all <laughs> kinds of different things. Got all kinds of, and oh, yellow mustard only. Mm. Oh, Joy, don't be putting ketchup on your Chicago dog. Got to be French's too, right? Got to be French's. Can't you know? be, yeah, none of this fancy, like, you know, Dijon horseradish mustard. It's got to be like yellow. Yeah. You know? So, folks, all of these fun hot dog ideas will be on our website. Just go to southernsistershome.com. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Southern Sisters radio program. We are talking Southern food, Southern life. And interestingly, we have a very good email question from one of our listeners in Huntsville, Alabama. Sarah Winchester emailed us and she said, My in-laws are coming for a visit later this month, and I'd like to prepare a really beautiful weekend breakfast. It's my mother-in-law's birthday, and I'd like to make it extra special complete with linen tablecloths and my grandmother's china. I'm not particularly good at putting complete menus together. Is there anything you can suggest for a particularly nice Southern breakfast? Hmm. She said there will be four of them in attendance. How about that? Well, as just as it so happens, breakfast is one of my favorite meals of the day. Not only is it one of the most important meals of the day, um, but here in the South, we have a particular... um, I don't know, a little bit of style and grace, I think, that goes into our breakfast meals. We do it particularly well. And, if, and, and honestly, Sarah, if you're going to be setting the table with a linen tablecloth and using your grandmother's china, I think this needs to be a brunch or a breakfast that is just uh, kind of over the top. Let's just say we want to impress the mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. What do you think about this menu? And this is one that I have served, and it is just delightful. And I've tweaked it a little bit to kind of give it a little nod to the uh, autumn weather that's coming up. Um, we're going to talk about a blueberry and almond coffee cake. 
How about some brown sugar bacon? Mm. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about how to make the absolute best scrambled eggs ever. And then we'll top the whole thing off with a, a nice hot cup of coffee with some homemade pumpkin spice coffee creamer. Okay, so I'm going to show you guys how to make this stuff up and keep it in your refrigerator all week long. You don't need to go to Starbucks and pay an arm and a leg for a pumpkin spice latte when you have this baby in your refrigerator. And then what do you think of an apple cider mimosa? Oh, that's that's lovely. Hello. Hello. So all the recipes again, guys, will be on the website. Just go to southernsistershome.com, click on the blob and look at our breakfast menu. Now, blueberry coffee cake. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. You got plenty of wonderful blueberries still in season. You can pick those up. I suggest definitely use the fresh ones. Let's not opt for the frozen ones. Although I will say I've seen some several coffee cake recipes that call for frozen blueberries. If you absolutely can't get the fresh you know, of course, you can opt for the frozen. But listen to this, guys. You're going to preheat the oven to 400, and then you're going to whisk together these four ingredients in a large bowl. One egg, a half a cup of milk, a half a cup of sugar. Um, let's see here. A half a cup of plain yogurt, right? And three tablespoons of vegetable oil, all right? And then you're going to stir together um, two cups of flour in a separate bowl. So we got two bowls going here. Two cups of flour. Uh, a fourth of a teaspoon of baking powder, and a half a teaspoon of salt. Now, you want to combine the two things together. Typically, you know, folks, when we're baking like this, we want to take our wet ingredients and just gradually incorporate our dry ingredients. So that's what you're doing here. Once you've got it all nice and mixed together, not too much, we don't want to overmix it. We just want to get it good and moistened. You're going to toss in about one and a fourth cups of fresh blueberries, okay? And just kind of fold that into the batter. Got it? You're going to lightly grease a nine-inch springform pan. Here's here's a little culinary trivia for you, Joey. Do you know what a springform pan is? No. Is it come after the winter pan? <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Bless your little heart. No, it's a it's a it's a actually a baking pan that has a removable side. It's got a little catch on the side of it. You can you can it's a, it's a solid baking pan. But then when you're done with it, you release the catch. It releases the sides of the pan, and that's how you get those nice straight edges oh. on the side of like a cheesecake. Okay. Or in our case, our blueberry almond coffee cake. Got mm. it. Okay. So. What you're then going to do is you're going to stir together a little topping. You're going to need about two tablespoons of two of uh, turbinado sugar. That's that like granulated brown sugar. Two tablespoons of sliced almonds, a half a teaspoon of cinnamon. You're going to combine that and sprinkle it over the batter. You pop it into the oven at 400. It bakes for about 25 to 30 minutes, right? As with most, most baked things, you know it's done when you've inserted a little toothpick into the center and it comes out clean. Then you're good. You want to cool it in a pan, uh, in the pan, on a wire rack for about 15 minutes, then remove the sides of the pan. Mama-in-law is going to be tray impressed with this dish. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you. Oh, it is so wonderful. I've had this warm. I've had it room temperature. It's fabulous. I would put it on a pretty little, um, like a cake plate or a pedestal, something like that. It'd be, be gorgeous. Now, I have a question. Mm. Now, you don't want it to be too good because you don't want her to be intimidated, right? <laughs> you also don't want her to stay for too long. Exactly. <laughs> if the cooking's too good, she may not go home. Oh, forgive me for saying that. I didn't mean that. I did not mean that, Sarah. I didn't. I'm sure that your mother-in-law is absolutely wonderful. How about some brown sugar bacon? Ooh, okay. Oh, yeah. Digging oh, it. Okay, two ingredients, bacon and brown sugar. Easy. All you do is spread the bacon uh, the, the bacon slices out on your baking sheet. This, folks, is in my very first cookbook, and I, I get more feedback on this recipe uh, as easy as it is. So you've got your about a pound of bacon uh, spread out, laid out on your baking sheet, and then all you're going to do is sprinkle a little brown sugar over it. 
Pop it into the oven at about 400 degrees. Cook it until it crisps up. That that sugar is going to caramelize. Mm. It's going to kind of melt over that bacon. And then the whole thing is going to, it's like, it's like bacon candy. Ooh. It's amazing. It, it To me, it is the perfect sort of, sort of symphony of, of, you know, pork saltiness combined with sweetness and my mouth is watering. I can't talk anymore. Let's <laughs> take a break. No. <laughs> All right. So we have our beautiful blueberry almond coffee cake, our brown sugar bacon. And how about we're going to whip up some perfect scrambled eggs. Now, since uh, Sarah, since this is just for four people, this will be easy to do. If you were having a larger crowd, I would suggest some sort of baked egg dish, uh, but not necessary here. Remember that your eggs should always be fresh and you should use real butter. Okay. So I like to put my eggs into a mixing bowl. Uh, you can whisk them. You can use an immersion blender if you want, which is one of my favorite little tools in the kitchen. You know, it's that little handheld blender. You just stick it down into the liquid, press the button. You should like it, Joe. It's like a power tool. You know, (laughs) it's like it's like you just and you just turn it on and it just whips those egg yolks and egg wipes into just, you know, into into just whirls them into perfection. Not only does it incorporate the eggs and the yolks, but it also introduces a little bit of air into them, helping keep them nice and fluffy. You're going to melt your butter in the pan. Right. And then in go the eggs. Now you can start out at medium high to melt the butter, but you really want to turn the turn it down a little bit once you add your eggs. You really don't ever want to cook scrambled eggs on anything higher than about a medium low. All right, and remember, folks, if you remember, actually nothing else. Uh, sweep, don't scramble. Okay, hmm. you want nice, soft, wide folds in your eggs. So you're going to use your heat-safe spatula, and you're going to stroke the eggs to one side. And then back to the other side as they start to cook. You can even tilt your pan and let the raw egg that's on top kind of spill over onto the pan. It kind of wor- it's like a little orchestra. You're kind of working <laughs> it back and forth, back and forth. The whole process shouldn't take more than about two minutes. And if you want to really impress mama-in-law, maybe a little handful of fresh herbs from the garden or just something yummy on top to kind of spruce it up and brighten it up a little bit. Hello. Jenny, I'm moving into your house. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I'm going to go home and have eggs. You ever have ba- uh, breakfast for, for dinner? Oh, I love it. Love that. Pancakes and milk. Yeah, my kids used to love that. Mm-hmm. Make notes on this. You're going to need all these ideas when the little one comes along. Yeah. Right? How about a little uh, apple cider mimosa? Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I would take my champagne glasses. I'd put a little water around the rim, and I would dip them in cinnamon sugar. So you have a little cinnamon sugar rim around the top of the glasses. Yeah. It's easy, folks. Two-thirds part apple cider, one-third champagne. You could also use Prosecco, which I actually prefer. It's a little lighter and a little sweeter. And you got yourself an apple cider mimosa. How about that? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Now, we got some hot coffee is in order for breakfast. How about a little pumpkin spice coffee creamer? The nice thing about this is you can make about two cups of it, keep it in your refrigerator. It keeps for about a week. All you need is two teaspoons of pumpkin pie spice. All right, you can buy that at the grocery store. About a fourth of a cup of pumpkin puree. Once again, folks, canned pumpkin, okay? Four tablespoons of packed light brown sugar. You now need one cup of milk and one cup of heavy cream. Whisk it all together. Store it in an airtight container. Like, pretty in a mason jar, actually. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That's all you need. Like I said, save your four bucks for a uh, a pumpkin spice latte and whip up one of your own, right? See, mother-in-law will now think you're not only a good cook, but that you're, you know, industrious in the kitchen. 
economical. It's important. Hello, right? Yeah. So there you go. I think everybody will be well fed. And quite frankly, Sarah, I think you are going to be daughter-in-law of the year. We'd love your feedback on breakfast ideas. If you love it as much as I do, send me an email. You can talk to me at radio at southernsistershome.com. And we'll be right back. Southern Sisters Radio Show. Now, with your Southern narrative, sharing stories from around the South, here is your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Today's Southern narrative comes to us from The Bitter Southerner. The South Saved My Soul by Nicholas Harrelson from Danville, Virginia. Folks around here often say, home is where the heart is. I can attest to the truth in this simple but profound statement. I have lived most of my life on one side or the other of the Virginia-North Carolina border, having been born in Greensboro and raised in a combination of Caswell County, North Carolina, and Franklin and Danville, Virginia. I identify strongly with the Piedmont region of the South and enjoy a good vinegar-based barbecue sandwich smoked over hickory or cherry wood just as much as the next person. My accent is recognizable, and oftentimes fellow Virginians ask me where I'm from and shake their heads tellingly when I answer with Danville. I take pride in these regional quirks of mine, though that wasn't always the case. It wasn't so long ago I was without an identity, a place to call home, or even the simple desire to associate myself with anything greater than myself. I served two tours of duty in Iraq as an infantryman with the 29th Infantry Division, the famed Blue and Gray, a unit composed of former Union and Confederate brigades following the Civil War. My battalion was the 116th Infantry Brigade Combat Team, the Stonewall Brigade. I took great pride in the history and the spirit decor of my unit. On October 6, 2011, I was wounded while performing combat operations in southern Iraq. I took my injuries in stride, and though I was unable to perform missions with my fellow soldiers, I knew they were in good hands, and I did not fear for their safety in my absence. Many assume that the hard times, violence, and danger end with the last day of deployment. I, too, thought the same. Little did I or my fellow brothers-in-arms know the transition from soldier to civilian is one of the most arduous and difficult tasks the military can throw your way. Where once I felt a part of something grand, noble, and honorable, suddenly I felt cast aside, without direction, without guidance. I can still remember the day my world imploded. My phone rang in the living room of my apartment in Huntsville, Alabama. My commanding officer called to tell me that my best friend and roommate from my most recent deployment, a man with whom I shared the nickname Woody, though he spelled his W-O-O-D-I-E, simply to be different, had taken his own life and subsequently shattered the lives of those close to him. I've never cried such bitter tears and doubt I ever will again. On that day, I lost my identity that subtle, intangible aspect of ourselves that grants our personalities a little extra spark of confidence. Severe medical issues forced me to move back in with my parents in Danville, Virginia. I underwent surgery and locked myself in a bedroom for six months, speaking to my family through a literal and figurative wall. 
Since that time, I have lost four close friends to suicide, and I believe a lack of identity followed their time in the military was a serious contributing factor to each. I grew to fear close connections with others, as it seemed they all went away. When isolation no longer satisfied the gaping void in my heart, I turned to the drugs being given to me for the various aches and pains from my injuries and spiraled even further into the abyss, saying and doing things I never imagined myself capable of, even further isolating myself from the ones I loved. I describe this scene so I can properly tell you how the South saved my soul. I've long been enamored with my Southern identity, whether it be the history, the food, the culture, the music. I've identified with it all at one point or another. Yet having been immersed in the culture from such a young age, I took for granted the very thing that made me who I was. I struggled for nearly four years against the shame of being unable to help my friends when it truly mattered, the shame of being dependent on drugs to ease the fury and pain in my head, and painful, debilitating injuries that seemed to linger for years. I cursed my decision to join the military. I cursed God. I cursed my family. All to no avail. One day I picked up Cormac McCarthy novel, The Road. It seemed improbable that someone would find redemption in a McCarthy novel, but I identified with the pain, hopelessness, and stubbornness of many of his characters. It was McCarthy who first lit the flame of my rekindled passion for the South. His use of lyrical prose and the dark nature of his characters spoke to me. His description of Southern landscapes were painted across my mind's eye like Van Gogh's Starry Night, beautiful, yet elusive and otherworldly. I began venturing out to the wild areas near my home in Virginia Beach and later Elizabeth City, inspired by the words I now sought comfort and guidance through. I would lose myself for days on end in places such as First Landing State Park and the Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge, searching for Spanish moss and live oaks. I took thousands of pictures and annoyed my family and friends with constant discussions about the flora and fauna of the southern coastal plain. Many of my friends actually began taking bets as to how long it would take me to mention Spanish moss in a conversation. After months of this behavior, my father told me I seemed the happiest I'd been in years. I had found myself. I had rediscovered my happiness by simply losing myself in the beauty of our southern home. Where medicine failed, where therapy lacked impact, the simple beauty and quiet of southern swamps, marshlands, and islands spoke to my soul in a way that nothing else could. We are oftentimes led to believe that science, technology, and medicine are the end-all be-all of our mental and physical health. None helped me, and Lord knows I tried them all. I was unwilling to concede that something as simple as a tree or a stand of Spanish moss was capable of such profound change and healing, but the evidence became too much to ignore. Our southern landscapes, whether bleak and foreboding or bright and uplifting, carry with them the weight of our deep cultural heritage. Our southern identity is integrally connected with the land we call our home, more so than is this the case anywhere else in the country. We speak of the land below the Mason-Dixon with reverence and respect because it truly is an integral part of our identity. 
Since that time, I've traveled clear across the South on numerous occasions, tracking down unique and beautiful places to lose myself in or trying every regional style of barbecue our Southern home has to offer. My appetite to see and do is insatiable, and I would have it no other way. So many times I have heard the same story of people taking their Southern birth and heritage for granted, wishing at a young age for the bright lights and watered-down culture of the big cities, only to one day, likely in a time of serious hardship and introspection, discover that they can find solace and comfort in their Southern home. That home is truly where the heart resides. I rediscovered the beauty of my home, and luckily for me, I rediscovered myself and the identity I so desperately sought. I can truly say the South saved my soul, and for that, I will be forever grateful. Murdering Mama by Robbie Sullins Jr. from Nashville, Tennessee. My grandmother is a murderer. Every summer she murders bees by the hundreds. In fact, she probably is killing winged insects this very second. She takes up watch on her porch, her swatter akin to a samurai's sword. She and the metal wire become one, each movement fluid, each swat calculated. Her porch is littered with wicker furniture, each chair weathered and worn in all the right places. In the distance, a CSX train rolls along the tracks. My grandmother sits alone. I don't think I've ever been to her house in mild enough weather that she didn't say, let's go out on the porch. She prefers to entertain outside on her porch. Her porch has remained unchanged during the 20-odd years she has inhabited the house behind it. It's been a constant, unchanging part of my life. In my childhood, I would jump on and off the porch on my way to somewhere else. Basketball practice, a friend's house, to direct the neighborhood kids in nefarious activity. My grandmother would usually be sitting there surveying the neighborhood or directing my grandfather in some honeydew task. Sit a while, she would ask. Sometimes I would stop long enough to satisfy her request. But more often than not, I would decline. I hated the bees. It seemed every bee in East Tennessee made its way onto my grandmother's porch. It also seemed like every bee in East Tennessee met its demise on my grandmother's porch. Swat, down the winged devil would go. My grandmother has no fear of bees, not the slightest. Me, not so much. You see, I've been stung everywhere imaginable, and I do mean everywhere. Bees can be rather traumatic to someone who's been stung in places I prefer not to mention in mixed company. However, I got stung in those places is how I got stung in those places is a story for another time. But trust me, it hurts. My grandfather also hates bees, and so does my brother, and so does most anyone who comes to visit my grandmother. It's unfortunate because bees are attracted to her porch like, well, bees to honey. Today, I bet my grandmother is out on her porch alone. Swatter in hand, she's waiting for someone to visit. I know one day I'll wish I was sitting with her. I'll long to hear her say, let's go out on the porch, youngins. One day, I'll wish my grandmother was still around. At least, the bees will be happy she's gone. Okay, folks, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Southern Sisters radio program. Remember to visit our website for access to all the recipes, southernsistershome.com, and shoot me an email. Let me know what you think, radio at southernsistershome.com. Have a great week.